today I will be uh, continuing a series that we've been doing titled Certainty from the Gospel of Luke, and we will be looking at Luke chapter 3 today. Now, the passage mostly has to, it talks about the ministry of John and the ministry of Jesus, but what we will see is that really the big topic or the, the theme of this passage is this idea of repentance, and we'll spend some time looking at it uh, tonight. But uh, before I pray for us, let me read the passage. I'll pray, and we'll go straight into the passage. Now, if you've got Luke chapter 3 with you, I'll read from us, for us rather from verse 1 to verse 18. This is how the passage reads. In the 15th year of the reign of Tiberius Caesar, Pontius Pilate, being the governor of Judea, and Herod, being the Tetrarch of Galilee, and his brother Philip, of the region of Eturia, and Traconis, and Lysanias, Tetrarch of Abilene, during the high priesthood of Annas and Caiaphas, the word of the Lord came to John, the son of Zechariah in the wilderness. And he went into all the region around the Jordan, proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. As it is written in the book of the words of Isaiah the prophet, the voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight, every valley shall be filled, and every mountain, shall, every mountain and hill shall be made low, and the crooked shall be, and the crooked shall be, shall become straight, and the rough places shall become level ways, and all flesh will see the salvation of our God. And he said to them, therefore, to the crowds uh, that came out to be baptized by him, you brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Bear fruits in keeping with repentance. And do not begin to say to yourself, we have Abraham as our father. For I tell you, God is able from these stones to raise, to raise up our children for Abraham. Even now the axe is laid to the root of the trees. Every tree, therefore, that does not bear fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. And the crowds asked him, so what shall we do? And he answered them, Whoever has two tunics is to share with him who has none, and whoever has food is to do likewise. Tax collectors also came to him to be baptized and said to him, Teacher, what shall we do? And he said to them, Collect no more than what you are authorized to do. Soldiers also asked him, And we? What shall we do? And he said to them, Do not extort money from anyone by threats or by false accusations, and be content with your wages. As the people were in expectation and all were questioning in their hearts concerning John, whether he might be the Christ, the Messiah, John answered them all, saying, I baptize you with water, but he who is mightier than I is coming, the strap of whose sandals I am unworthy to untie. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand to clear his threshing floor and to gather the wheat into his barn. But the shaft he will burn with unquenchable fire. So with many other exhortations, he preached good news to the people. Let's stop right there and pray. Our Father, we pray this evening that you would change our hearts. And so change our lives. Father, we do pray that our lives will clearly reflect that we love God 
and love neighbor. In Jesus' name, amen. Our theme for tonight is repentance. Now, I think that word is a word that makes quite a lot of people feel uncomfortable. It is an uncomfortable word, an uncomfortable topic, usually in the church. People get really uncomfortable when it's spoken about. And I'm quite sure when I mentioned that it's the topic for today, a few of you became a little bit unsettled. It's the R word that no one likes to talk about. And I mean, there are many reasons why people don't want this. One, when they hear repentance, they think of the religious weirdo that we see in movies who stands with a signboard or a post saying, repent, repent, the end is near. That's what we think of when we think of repentance. Two, we think of repentance as being a one-time event. And so we think to ourselves, hey man, I done did that. I've done it already. I already got the t-shirt to prove that, to prove that I'm on the inside. So why are we talking about this? So people often get uncomfortable when the topic is brought up. The other reason I think is simply because people often think repentance is something that's just between them and God. And so they think, let me go and sort this out with God. This is just something I need to confess before God. And it doesn't really affect the rest of my life. But I think what you see here, the way that we often understand repentance shows that perhaps we've misunderstood repentance as the Bible teaches it. See, when the Bible talks about repentance, it talks about repentance as being something that is both a heart and habit issue. Now, let me say that again. Repentance is both a heart and habit issue. And what you see when you read the whole of the Bible is this. If God has touched your heart, if God has changed your heart, then it will be clear in your habit. And if there isn't any habit change or your habit has not changed, then we've got to ask if there has been a heart change. The Bible keeps these two things together. It sees them as one, as a whole. But very often what some of us do is we fake the habit, or rather we, we live as though the habit is good, but our hearts are not transformed. But what we don't realize at that very moment is what we are doing is someone, it's almost like someone who's taking an apple and putting it on an apple tree that is not bearing fruit and using tape to tie it. I mean, we know what's going to happen to the apple. It's going to rot and die. And so what, what we don't see there is if your heart is not changed, you can't fake the actions. The actions cannot in any way replace a heart's change. But very often what we need to question as well is this. If you say there has been a heart change, then can we see it in your actions? See, when you read, when you read the scriptures, you see this so clearly that the heart and habit go together. And so as John stands before these very people, his message is that he's calling them to renew their commitment to God. He's calling them to renew their relationship, their covenant with God. When he calls them to repent, he's calling them to check whether their heart and habit align. Does your heart and habit align is what he's trying to get them to see. See, there are a few words that are used in the Bible to explain the idea of repentance. One of them One of them in explaining what repentance is talking about describes repentance as regret, whereas the other describes repentance as returning. Regret, regret, remorse over sin, remorse over a heart that is not changed, and return so that your actions could show that your heart has truly been changed. But why? Why does John stand before them calling them to repent? Why does he just stand before them and teach them about this baptism to repent, to repentance? And then a little bit later, talk to them about repentance that looks practical. Why? 
See, John here is trying to get these guys to prepare for the coming of the Lord. And the way he prepares them for the coming of the Lord is by preparing their hearts and their lives to encounter the Lord. And so John, in one sense, is saying to them, are you prepared? Are you prepared for the coming of the Messiah? If I would use the words of Scar from the Lion King, I would say what John is saying to them here is, be prepared. I was tempted not to sing. But I just thought, hey, let's go ahead and try. That's that's what John is saying to them. He's saying, be prepared for the coming of the Savior. Make room in your life so that you are ready for his coming. You are ready for his visitation. Now, you and I know a lot about making room when people come to visit. And what we often do in how we make room when people visit is we we take stuff and we shove shove it into a closet now, don't we? I can't be the only one who does that, right? We will shove it in one closet, one room. But you see what John here is calling them to is a total transformation. Their whole life must be changed. There can't be one area of your life that you simply hide in. Habit and heart are linked together. This is what he wants them to see. He wants them to see this because God is visiting. God is coming through the Messiah called Jesus. God is intervening in human history. He's intervening. Interventions. I've actually been part of one. Where people sat me down and said, Reggie, you are close to walking off a cliff. Turn. Turn back to safety. Turn back to what is good. John is getting these guys to see that, hey, the route you're taking leads to your own self-destruction. So turn. Return to God. This message of repentance, John wants them to come back to this God and see what God will do for them. And interestingly, the passage that is quoted of Isaiah 40 to describe who John is as this voice of one that is calling in the desert or crying in the desert, actually in that very passage in Isaiah 40, you're told there of God's visitation and that when God comes to visit, When God comes to visit, he will bring justice and righteousness. That God will come to save his people. Now, there's often an argument on when that passage was written. Is it written after the exile or before the exile? So if it's before the exile, then that passage is telling them that the exile will be a time for them that will be punishment for their sin, but God will come back to save them. But if it's afterwards, then the author is trying to get them to see That whatever has happened in the past, that was a time of punishment, but God will come back to save his people. And we see the people returning back to the land. So he calls that passage to show them what the visitation of God looks like. Now let me read for you a few quotes that show this brilliance that John shows us here of a heart and habit change. Listen to these quotes that describe what repentance looks like for us. If there's one statement I want you to keep in your head as you think about repentance tonight, it is this. This is how the Bible wants us to think of repentance. Repentance is not just the doorway into the Christian life. Rather, it is the pathway of the Christian life. Now, let me say that again. Repentance is not just the doorway into the Christian life. It's not just the way you enter into a relationship with God. But it is the pathway. It is the walk that you walk with Jesus. It is the pathway of the Christian life. And so as a Christian, we've got to be always checking whether our heart and habit are aligning 
whether there has truly been a heart change in our life that leads to a habit change. Listen to this uh, commentator as well as he describes what repentance looks like. He says, to change one's way, this is repentance, repentance is to change one's way of life as a result of a complete change of thought and attitude with regard to sin and righteousness. What is good, what is right and holy. Again, Repentance is not just turning away from sin, but it is then turning towards what is good and living a life that truly reflects that. Repentance is not just the doorway into the Christian life. Rather, it is the pathway of the Christian life. So as we go through this passage, I want us to see what John does for us. How he first tackles the heart and then comes back to talk about the habit. And then a bit later, we'll talk about the difference between the ministry of John and the ministry of Jesus. And when we get to that point, we will call that point hope. So three points, heart, habit, and hope. Let's go to our first point, heart. Now, I'll read for us once again the passage we read from verse 3. I'll read verse 3, then verse 7 to verse 9. Verse 3 reads as follows. As Paul, as, as rather Luke, John the baptizer standing before them uh, talks about what this baptism looks like. Listen to what it says in verse 3. And he went out into the region of the Jordan, proclaiming a baptism of repentance. Just give me a little while. Proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins as it is written in the book of Isaiah the prophet. Now let's move on to verse 7. There you see, he said therefore to them, to the crowd, that came out to be baptized by him, you brood of vipers who warned you of the, of the wrath that is to come, bear fruit that is in keeping with repentance. Now let's stop there for now. See so what John is trying to get these people who are coming before him, who are coming to be baptized, he wants them to see that repentance is a heart change. And then in verse 3, when he talks about the baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of their sins, he's talking about the kind of repentance where they are turning away from their sin. Listen to how other translations actually read that very passage. Other passages say this, this very passage says this, this is a baptism that shows that you have repented of your sin. And so when John calls them to be baptized, that's what he's calling them to do. He's calling them to come to be baptized to show that they have truly changed their hearts. Now baptism here, baptism in Judaism was simply used as a cleansing process. Or if someone wanted to follow the Judaism, the, the, the God of the Jews, then the person will get baptized as a proselyte. Then they'll get baptized themselves. But what you see in the baptism of John is that it is completely different. John wants them to be baptized so that to show that they have repented from their sins. He wants them to show that they've turned and they've renewed their commitment to God. They've renewed their relationship with God. And a relationship that is based on past grace. A relationship that is based on the grace that God showed his people through the exodus as he rescued them from Pharaoh and brought them into the land that is his promised land. So he wants them to think back to that. And remember God's grace. And so when you hear the word repentance, you must hear that what John is calling them is to reconsider, to rethink whatever way of life they thought is good. See, if they thought sin is the way of life that is good, call, uh, rather, John is calling them to repent of that. But he's also calling them to repent of their good deeds, 
of turning towards wisdom for their own sake. See, John here is calling them to reconsider and rethink their commitment to God. But John actually prods a little bit further to their hearts in verse 7. See, in verse 7, John really interrogates if they're being genuine in their hearts change, if they're being genuine in coming to be baptized. And notice the kind of language that he uses to describe them. These are people that have come to listen to him. And he says this to them, you brood of vipers who warned you of the wrath that is to come. John is pointing to them here when he calls them a brood of vipers. He's actually saying to them, hey, you are actually poisonous. That's what he's saying to them. They look like they're here for God, but they're actually there for themselves. They're there to tick a box. I love what one, one translation actually puts this. Listen to what it says. Who has told you to flee from the coming wrath, coming wrath by merely submitting to a rite of baptism? By merely getting baptized. Who says that's the way you can get right with God? By simply doing that without having a heart that has changed. See, so John is interrogating that. Are you simply ticking boxes? Are you ticking a box? Are you using this as an escape card instead of having a heart that is truly changed? What John does in verse 9 is to even go a little bit further. John actually unleashes his inner rachadi. He says, don't you dare. Don't you dare. Don't you dare think just because you're the children of Abraham that you are in right standing with God. Just because you're the children of Abraham does not mean that your heart is in a good place and that you're in a good relationship with God. So don't you dare. One translation actually says this. I know what you're about to say. This is what John says to them. I know what you're about to say, but Abraham is our father. This is what they're claiming. They're claiming the ancestry of Abraham. But you see in the scriptures, in the whole of the Bible, God's relationship with his people has always been about repentance and faith. It has always been about loving the Lord your God and loving your neighbor. It's always been about that. And so in the Old Testament, when the people of God did not live in that way, very often God would punish them. And from that very group, God would bring out a remaining or the remnant. And so John says to them, don't you dare. Don't you dare think just because you are a descendant of Abraham that you are right with God. Don't you dare. Don't you dare think just because you come to church that you are right with God. Don't you dare think because you read your Bible this week and that you've been praying that you're right with God. Don't you dare think you've been go- because you've been going around and sharing the gospel with others that you're in a good standing with God. Has your heart been truly transformed? Has your heart been truly changed? See, John wants them to, he questions their motive. He wants them to see, to question whether their hearts have really been changed. And sadly, this is something that you and I need to hear as well. Because what you and I often do is we do this very thing. We come to God and pretend without having hearts that are changed. And so we become these religious people that fake church. Now here's the thing about religious people. Religious people use God and the gospel as a drunk man uses a light pole. They use it for balance instead of light. They, they use it to see, oh, am I in good standing with God now? I mean, I'm doing this baptism thing just to see, am I good now? Instead of seeing that the gospel, God's message, is about our hearts being transformed. Again, the religious person uses the Bible, uses God, like a drunk man uses a light pole. 
a balance for standing instead of light. And John is calling them to check that, to check their hearts. Has your heart been truly changed? I mean, it's a question that's worthwhile for us to ask this, this evening. Have our hearts been truly changed? Have we been changed by this message of the gospel? Hereafter, John then talks about their habit. He links their hearts to their habit. When they come to him in verse 10 to ask him, so what shall we do? John links their heart to their habit. Now, I want you to see this because it's so clear in the passage. They ask him, what shall we do? And John tells them, whoever has two tunics is to share with him who has none. You see that? How he's pointing them towards action and habit. And he says something very similar to the tax collector and soldier as well. What shall we do? John is saying, have your heart and your habits linked. Your heart, your habits must show that your heart has been truly transformed. And your heart should always lead to habits that are changed. Now look at the different groups. I want us to look at them. The different groups that he talks to. The very first group that John talks to is the crowd. Now we can imagine that the crowd is ordinary people that have come to John. Ordinary people who are probably poor or rich. Could be different kinds of people. And listen to what John says to them. He says, whoever has two tunics must share. And whoever has food must share. Repentance, John is saying, leads to generosity. A changed heart leads to generosity. As Christians, if we have changed hearts, we will live with open hands. And you see, when you read all throughout the Gospel of Luke, you will realize that the rich, which you and I actually form part of, the world considers you and I as part of the rich. In Luke's Gospel, the rich are usually the people who struggled to let go of their possessions in order to show love to others. And you know what that showed? It showed that they don't truly love God. Their love, with God, love for God is not in check. And so that's why they're struggling to love neighbor. Or as we have said in the last few weeks, they have not yet experienced the freedom from possessions that Jesus gives us. They've not experienced it as yet. And so you see it with the rich fool who decides, I'm going to build up bonds. I've got so much here. I'm just going to keep it here. Keep it here. I'm going to stay here. I'm going to build bigger bonds so he stays with me. Or you think of the rich ruler who comes to Jesus to ask about eternal life. And Jesus tells him what to do. And actually what Jesus tells him to, what, what Jesus tells him to do is in link with what we see today. And the guy struggles to give half of his possessions to the poor. He struggles to love others in that very way. But you see, when the gospel has gripped your heart, when the gospel has transformed your heart, It'll be clear in your habit like Zacchaeus. Who, when you read the passage, you're not really sure when this guy has repented. You're trying to figure out, hey, when did he actually turn to Jesus? And you see how his heart and habit are so clearly intertwined there. This guy decides he's going to give half of his possessions to the poor. And anyone who's defrauded, he's going to give back to them fourfold. He shows that his heart has been truly transformed. Or think of the women who support the ministry of Jesus in Luke chapter 8. These women walk with Jesus. They're with him. They're his disciples. They're sitting at his feet. And these women are looking after Jesus as he travels from one area to another. They live with open hands because their hearts 
have been transformed. And so you and I, I said, form among the rich. I mean, what, what, what ways do you and I need to consider to be generous in this coming week? Generous, not just in our possessions in terms of food and money, but how can we be generous with our time? How can we be generous with our time to our friends, our family, our colleagues, and many more? To the tax collectors, he calls them to be honest. He says, do not take more than what you're authorized to do. Now, what these guys did was exactly that. They walked around and they would collect more than what they were told to do. And they did that so that they could make a living and have much more and become rich. And he says to them, do not collect more than you ought to. He says, be honest. And to the soldiers, now there's lots of debates and conversations on who these soldiers are. Some say it's, it's the Roman soldiers who are working for Pilate and, uh, and uh, Caesar Tiberius in verse 1 and 2. Some say it might be Jewish soldiers who work for Herod. But some say it might be soldiers that are there to protect the tax collectors because they were hated people. So they needed to make sure that they've got police or some sort of security around them the whole time. Very similar to Duzan Zuma when he walks around. I mean, they needed to have that security, but hey, it could be either of those. By the way, I'm not saying Duzan Zuma is a tax collector. To the Zulu people, please, please chill. I'm not saying I'm, I'm not saying he's a tax collector, but but you get the idea here. These guys are told, "Hey, show integrity. Do not extort money from people." And, and look at what he says. He says, "Be satisfied. Be content. Be content in your wage. Be content in what God has provided for you." And oh man, how we need to hear that message today, because you and I very often aren't so content, and we try and find other ways. And John here tells them, be content, be satisfied. See, when we have come to experience the freedom Jesus offers us, it liberates us. It liberates us to live with open hands. And we are generous, and we are honest, and we show integrity. One more thing to see in that very passage. Notice how all of them have to do with possessions. Very one, share your tunic, share your food. The one, do not take more money than what you need. Do not extort the other person to increase your wage. All of it has to do with possessions. I mean, how are we doing with that? How are we doing with possessions? Do possessions have a grip on our heart? Have we experienced this freedom that Jesus says he has come to offer us? And you see, the way that it becomes clear that we have experienced this freedom, it becomes clear with our generosity and how we live with open hands. Listen to John Calvin. This is what John Calvin says. He says, Let the needs of our brother affect us so powerfully, and, the, and let the bounty of God, so the blessing of God, which is in our hands, stimulate us to acts of kindness and generosity. Let the needs of our brother affect us so powerfully, and let the bounty of God, which is in our hands, stimulate us to acts of kindness and generosity. See, if we say our hearts have been changed, it should be clear in our habit. Now, can you imagine how much of an impact Christians, the church, would have on the world if we lived like this? If our heart and habit were intertwined, if our heart and habit were linked, Imagine the kind of change Christians could bring 
in their workplace, within their families, in their community. I love what one uh, commentator says in explaining the kind of change we would have. And he actually, this guy actually studies the, the early church and shows that one of the reasons the early church was so able to powerfully affect the community around them was because of this, was because they lived with open hands. Their hearts and habits were linked. And this is what he says. If Christians simply focused on doing the most basic aspects of Christianity, like loving each other and their neighbor, it would say more to the watching world than all the theology that we throw at them. It would say more to the watching world than all the theology that we throw at them. Nothing wrong with good theology. Nothing wrong with making a good argument with someone. But if you and I lived in this way, heart and habit linked, hearts that are truly transformed, I believe we would truly transform um, the community that is around us. Bear fruits that are in keeping with repentance. In verse 8, Luke says, Bear fruits that are in keeping with repentance, John says to them. Heart and habit. Now let me read you one quote to, to really help us about, about, about this, to really think through this. Uh, I love what... Uh, actually, i come back and read that quote a little bit later. I want us to see now, as we move on to the third point, hope. The difference between the ministry of John and the ministry of Jesus. See, the ministry of John is a ministry where he baptized people with water. But he clearly tells us there's one who will come to baptize us with the Spirit. See, the people that stand before John still have a heart of stone. Yes, they can respond to God's grace, but they still have a heart of stone. And what we're told that when the Messiah will come, Jeremiah 31 and Ezekiel 36, we are told that when the Messiah comes, he will come and live a life that is obedient to the Father. He will die, he will rise, he will ascend and send his spirit to baptize our hearts so as to remove a heart of stone to give us a heart of flesh so that we are able to respond to God. See, what God does for you and I today, those who have come to believe in Jesus, he actually empowers us to be able to link our habit and heart. He gives us a new heart and he gives us his spirit to empower us to live in this way. So, man, how are you going to think about living in that way? How are you going to think about submitting to the spirit, submitting to the gospel in this coming week so that you are able to live under the kingship of Jesus? See, what we see here is what the kingdom should look like. What we see here is what living under the king should look like. Now, this is the quote I wanted to read from Tim Keller. This is what he says about the gospel and how we should come back to the gospel. This very gospel that tells us that we have new hearts and we have been given a spirit that empowers us. Listen to what Tim Keller says. He says, the gospel, if it is really believed, removes neediness. The need to be constantly respected, appreciated, and well-regarded. The need to have everything in your life to go well. The need to have power over others. The need to hold on to possessions. All these great deep needs continue to control us only because the concept of the glorious God delighting in us, in you, with all of his being, is just that, a concept and nothing more. 
Our hearts don't believe it. And so they operate in default mode. There's no connection between our heart and habit. Back to the quote. You must let the gospel argue with you. You must let the gospel sink down deeply in your heart until it changes your motives, your views, and attitudes, and your habit. This is how we connect our heart and habit. The gospel and the spirit. I love that part. Let me say it again. Let's make sure it doesn't remain only a concept and nothing more. God delights in us, and he delights in us so much so that in the next chapter we are told, we're introduced to the Messiah actually here in this chapter, but we see in his ministry from the next chapter on. We see this Messiah that has come to save us, to save us from our sins, to save us even from our good deeds. And so today, man, how are you going to turn back to him? How are you going to turn away from the path that leads to destruction and back to the path that is good, to live under Jesus as king? May I submit the gospel to you and God's spirit to do a work in your life. Now, if you're not a Christian here today, you'll notice that one of the things you see in the passage is the idea of judgment. Now, John tells these people of judgment, and the way that this has been understood is judgment that is immediate and judgment that is in the future. There was a judgment that was immediate, the fall of Jerusalem. But there's a judgment that is coming at the end when God will judge all those who have not returned, those who have not turned to him to live under him as king. And so I want to say to you, if you are trying to live life your own way, if you're trying to work your own way to God, it's hopeless. And the reason why it's hopeless is because you and I ultimately need our heart of stone removed and to be given a heart of flesh. And so why don't you come to this Jesus today so that he gives you a heart of flesh and you are able to live for him. Let's pray. Father, we do pray that our heart and habit will be linked. Father, may we truly show that we love, we love God and that we love neighbor. May our colleagues see that we have come to know you from our actions. May our family see the same and our friends. And Father, would you use us Use our lives, our changed lives, and use your gospel to transform the lives of those around us. But dear Lord, I pray for any tonight who has not yet turned to this king, that they may see the offer that he puts before them, an offer to have a heart of stone removed, to have a heart of flesh, an offer to a better life, a life with King Jesus over them a life with one who knows what is best for them, one who actually gave up his life for them. So, Father, I do pray that they would turn to him in repentance and begin to live for him and see that repentance is not just the doorway to the Christian life, but also the pathway of the Christian life. Amen.